Hey guys, it's Sunday afternoon and that Sunday evening, and that means it's Sunday reading day. We're going to be continuing with Anna Maria Manalo's book on uh, haunted heirlooms. In a couple minutes here, we'll give people time to come into the room. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I usually read for about an hour. So really, you don't have to look at me because I'm going to be reading. But if you'd like, you can come in the chat room. And uh, unfortunately, because it is a PDF that I'm reading off of. I will not get a chance to look into the chat room to see who's here. But uh, showing your support in the chat room would be really cool. Also, if you're going to be watching this from Facebook, please be sure to like this and uh, hit that follow button on Facebook. We're looking for followers. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram under the name of Ghosty Gal on Instagram because I'm trying to build up Instagram. So I do post stuff over there as well. Uh, and if you're if you're watching from YouTube, um, there's a subscribe button. Uh, there's a little ghost down in the bottom right hand corner with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on. And uh, you can hit that button to subscribe. We've got over 450 videos over there. And um, yeah, find something that you like, I'm sure. Because I don't do like paranormal stuff all the time. What I do is I like to mix it up. Okay, so I think there's something for everybody over there. And please remember with this show, please remember. You know, we don't care. You know, I honor all religions. I do. I honor everybody's religion. I'm a Catholic. I admit it. You know, I may not hear things on my show that I agree with or, or things like that. But uh, come, when you come to this show, please come with an open mind because it's it's important to have an open mind. Because, I mean, we talk about everything. You know, you may not believe in something that somebody said or somebody was talking about. But, I mean, there's other people that do. Or might you know and it's not misinformation or anything like that it's just that we're trying to get the word out we're just like any other show out there that does this type of topic i mean we're just trying to kind of broaden people's horizons either they, you know they either believe or they don't and if you don't believe that's fine but um it's a place to be open-minded that's what the show's about to be open-minded that's why we're here okay so learn something to be open-minded anyhow how's everybody's weekend gone Mine's gone pretty good. Getting ready to shift my house into fall and then finally into winter. I'm starting to winterize my house, winterize my yards and all that stuff. Uh, you know, because it's that time of year in Sacramento. You know, we will be flying along really well. In fact, we're starting to cool down. It's kind of up and down like a yo-yo right now temperature-wise. But what will happen is overnight it'll just cool down and that's it. <laughs> Boom. Just, just like that. So that's what I'm preparing for right now. I mean, it's already a heck of a lot darker outside right now. I mean, usually it's day, you know, all through the summer it was broad daylight and hot outside at this time of night, but at this time of the evening. But it's dark. It's dark outside right now. You know, let me get this adjusted a little bit. I feel like it's squeezing my head here. It's a certain soft, happy spot. Anyway, you might hear a, a, a bell go off on my computer. And that's because I'm working on a graphic for this, for, for this particular show. You know, I don't know really if you guys want to see my face the whole time I'm reading or if it'd be easier if I just had a, a background graphic that popped up, you know, for the whole show of just the book that I'm reading. You know, maybe, maybe you guys would like that. Tell me your opinion since, since we've got a few minutes here and, you know, um, I can see the chat or at least see the chat room for at least another two or three minutes. Let me know. I mean, do you want to look at my face while I'm reading or would you rather just have me put the graphic up there? It's up to you guys. You know, I'd like to know what you're doing. The other thing I'm going to be doing tonight, too, that's different is the bright light. You know, my, my spotlight drives me insane when I'm reading. And this one is this, this book in particular is coming off a PDF off the computer. 
And um, so it's hard for me because it glares because the spotlight's right off to my right. So I'm going to be turning the, the main spotlight off through, uh, you know, uh, while I'm reading. So that'll probably make it a lot easier for me to read. So we're at 87%. Even if I had that graphic, even if it finished, I wouldn't have it ready for the show. Um, so yeah, let me know in the chat room, you guys, or, you know, what you think. Should you guys want to see my face when I'm reading, you know, like, so I can be like, like, like a Bob reading a book or, or would you rather have me put a graphic up there so you don't have to look at me the whole time? I mean, really all your, you know, this allows you to have dinner or clean your house or do whatever you're doing while I'm reading. Right. So, uh, it's, it's up to you guys how you would like it done. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to change some stuff up, make it more professional, you know, and, and do stuff like that with this so we've got about a minute to go here and like i said you're going to hear um a chime go off when that um when that vi video is done doing its thing over in corral so uh you know but anyhow um welcome it's sunday i'm excited to be here i'm also the owner of the california haunts paranormal investigation team based out of sacramento we're 45 strong up and down the state of california which means that if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you. So get a get a hold of us on Facebook. Uh, there's a few California Haunts sites on Facebook. There's CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. You can reach us at. There's me. You can find my name all over all over Facebook. So that's the way to get a hold of us for a paranormal case. All right. Somewhere our phone numbers listed too. I don't know where. Some somewhere the phone numbers listed. Anyway, um, all right. Let's do this. And like I said, I'm going to go dark as far as the big spotlight goes. So I can read this a little easier. And uh, all right, we're in chapter 31. And where we left off, well, actually, I want to look at you guys for a second more. Where we looked off, where we left off, <laughs> it's already starting, isn't it? Where we left off was he, um, our, 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 our protagonist in all this. They have a lithograph, him and his, him and his wife. And the lithograph, the strange thing when you look at it creates it plays mind games with you there's cursed there's something wrong with it i mean that's the whole basis of the book right cursed antiques haunted heirlooms so this guy he's trying to find a way to get rid of it he's tried to bury the thing and it, and, and it doesn't disintegrate he's tried to throw it in the fire it doesn't disintegrate so he's trying to find a way to, to, to deal with this thing so he went out to he, he, he went out to a church talked to a priest and now he's returning with the lithograph to have the priest do something to the lithograph bless it or something so this is where we're starting chapter 31. Okay. So I'm going to go dark here and then I'm going to read the book. All right. So this, there's nothing wrong with your computers or anything like that. I just have the light off the main light. Okay. And like I said, you're probably, in fact, I'm going to pop over there and check progress. Oh, it's done. Okay. Well, I can't put it up anyway. I don't think it'll work if I try to put it in. Probably wouldn't take it anyway. So I'm not going to worry about it until after the show. Okay. So. Here we go, and I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And there's nothing wrong with your screens. Like I said, it's just that I can see the screen better because it is a PDF. I can see the screen better if I don't have the spotlight on. So here we go. Chapter 31. No sacred ground. The priest took one look and blessed the lithograph, making the, making the sign of the cross. It was the original scene he saw, the castle and the, and the swing with the girl. With resolve, he handed it back to me with a flourish, as if, as if humoring me. I felt like a child. So I stood my ground and refused to leave the chapel unless he took a long look at it. It was already late in the afternoon. Young man, if it would make you feel better, leave it here on the pew overnight. Come back next morning, and if it hasn't changed, as you say it does, take it. I blessed it. 
No, it only changes when you think about something or someone. The man stared at me for the longest time. Where did it come from? It was at an auction in New York. I paused, not ready to tell him. It originated somewhere in the Middle East. Something about his vibe told me to hold, to hold off this time. Why was it auctioned, do you know? No, I'm afraid not. Antiques get auctioned all the time for various reasons. Some things are better left alone. Should I just toss it in the trash? I need to be back at the store tomorrow morning. It's Monday. I'm not telling you anything of that sort. If, if this is like an Ouija board, and I'm in no way an expert, you shouldn't tear it up when you toss it. Well, priest man, it won't tear anyway, but I won't tell you that. I thought. Then, what are you telling me, Father? Leave it here tonight, as I said. I will look at it tonight and give it back to you with some ideas in the morning. Okay, I guess I'll have to stay one more night to resolve this. I made a move to leave, then hesitated. Father? Yes? This said, this said with an impatient tone. Has anyone ever encountered anything like this in your experience? He looked away, examining the, the baptismal font in the adjacent chapel, as if it was going to give him an answer. No, but there is a woman who is better able to advise you on this. She believes in something called psychic photography, which seems similar to what you're claiming here. Can you tell me her contact information? He touched the crucifix on his chest as he fumbled for a reply. I'm a Roman Catholic priest. I'm not recommending you connect with her, but since you seem at a loss, I can give you her number. She's close by. Do you believe me? It's what you believe in experience that matters. I hope you're not dabbling in the occult. That would open up all kinds of things you'd not be able to close. Trust me, I'm not. I just need to ask her what needs to be done. Okay. Don't tell her I sent you. I will pray tonight for an answer. He examined me. Sam, do you believe in God? I do. With that, he extended a wiry hand, and I handed him the lithograph. He dismissively, dismissively placed it on a pew with a prayer book on top to secure it. Moving on. Chapter 32. The answer to the prayer came, I think. The lithograph sat in the pew of the church overnight and didn't change. According to the priest, anyway. He handed me a phone number and a vial of holy water. A study with a bunch of roses and assorted vases, a huge bay window with lace curtains, a large reddish leather sofa with two matching armchairs faced a square coffee table that looked really expensive. Huge intrusion figureheads sat on the coffee table. In the middle of this was a small mahogany cafe-style table with four mahogany chairs, late 18th century, from what I could surmise. In this arrangement, we sat facing each other. The woman, Erica, appeared to be an antique collector of sorts. She also liked art, contemporary, it appeared, from the contrasting acrylic canvases on the walls of the room. It gave the expansive room a very eclectic vibe, which was comforting. Expressive, warm, and def definitely cultured. The rest of the room had all sorts of books. It added to the aura of a highly refined woman of means. She examined the print with a blank look on her features. The process does not work with a lithograph, only film photographs. I see. Are you familiar with how lithographs are made? It works very differently from film developing. I studied the woman 
I studied the woman in her 50s, her hair in a ponytail, her body lean, and in a jogging outfit with Adidas printed on the spandex. She looked nothing like what I would have imagined a psychic or someone interested in mysticism. I envisioned the prototypical heavyset woman in a gypsy outfit. I guess I was biased. Like I am a Muslim without the requisite headgear or beard. I don't even eat Indian food. So there. Focus. You're a racist, Sam. A profiler against your own race. Focus. She looked more like a girl you'd encounter in a public park while you were walking your dog, and you thought she was cute. She was cute in her own way, but I was more concerned about getting the print out of my life. I had to tell her how I got her contact information, contrary to the priest's request. The priest hadn't seen anything change in the morning when he picked it up from the pew, but did notice it was frayed at the edges, like it got wet or mildewed. I never did figure out why that happened. I begged him to keep it there until it finally deteriorated and the images were worn like an old photograph. I told her that. He told me if she had no ideas, as a last resort, bring it back. Okay, then. If it wasn't a psychic photo, then what was it? She looked away and pointed out another photo on her wall, framed in cream and gold frame. It was different from the rest, as it added a personal touch to the room. A boy about seven in overalls, holding a baby calf. That's my brother, who was a twin. Was? I miss him a lot. What happened to him? Instead of answering me, she shut her eyes, and she placed one hand on top of my lithograph, which lay upside down on the coffee table. Minutes went by, and I finally sighed and looked around the opulent room, part of me wishing I lived there. Then Erica opened her eyes and turned the lithograph over. She looked down at the lithograph, and then I knew what she was hoping to see. She moved the print towards me and turned it so the subject faced me. It was the same scene, the castle and the girl on the swing. She cleared her throat. I think this only responds to you. It changed for my friends. I don't understand it. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer. I will need to do some research. What do I do meanwhile? I can't bring it back to the store. Word was getting around. Just put it in storage, under lock and key. I realized then that I had somehow become obsessed with the print. Like a kid with a Facebook page, I had to keep looking at it. I had to tell her. I didn't know what else to do. It needs you, or you need it for some reason. But why? My friend and his wife were able to let it go. To hand it to me and not turn back. Because it has a hold on you, and you're allowing it. I looked down at the print. I gasped. The castle in the background was gone. In its place was a large house, or was a house, which had turned into a wreck. Debris, a charged roof with a gaping hole, and windows all burned and blown out. In the foreground, the remains of what appeared to be a burned sedan. I must have been holding my breath. Erica was watching my reaction and moved the print towards her. Her eyes were mirroring mine as she studied it. My brother died in a house fire, a gas explosion from a propane tank. We both looked at each other and examined it. Her reaction told me we were seeing the same scene. Here, now, in her study. I finally had the validation I needed in real time. Unlike me, she didn't look surprised. I was, however, aghast. The mice finally paid the rent. I stood up in her beautiful study with the sunlight streaming through the lace curtain windows. My breath came in expansive gasps, like I had been underwater and now had surfaced. Pools of clarity washed over me. I see. She nodded without, ex she nodded without expression. 
as if stifling an emotion. However, I could feel the emotion despite her stoic expression. She handed me back the lithograph. It reads the past. Whoever had the strongest emotion, whoever has the strongest emotion imprints on it. Any memory was strong feeling. She looked away from the past. Erica looked out the window past me, past the antique furniture. She picked it up. Come. She led me out of the room, which I then realized was a home office of sorts, judging from some nearby file cabinets and a blotter situated on a nearby desk. We walked past a large family room into a large kitchen, then we ascended to the second floor. As the landing, at the landing of the stairs, I saw that we were on an internal balcony of sorts, where there was a commanding view of the backyard, with children's swings on the lawn, then a swimming pool with hedges on two sides. Again, a very opulent space. Yet, amidst all this success, she was, she, she was down to earth and approachable. Erica nudged me on the shoulder to awaken my, my reverie, lost in the beauty that was her home. I realized that the validation from a stranger, who had no interest other than to solve my dilemma, had given me space to admire and to see things I had ignored before. Over here, she said. We walked down the hall and entered a room lined with bookcases from top to bottom. The middle opened to the study below that we were just in. We were on the second floor of the study library, and above me was a third level, which appeared to be a stone turret with windows on four sides. On either side of each window were more bookcases. Above the bookcases at eye level were small paintings on the walls. She turned. How much do you want for it? I was taken aback. I'm serious. Of course I want to get rid of it. This is your opportunity. You're sure? My husband was a museum curator. This is very rare. Rare, but... He has heard of these types of artifacts on trips in the Middle East. So you know where it came from. How much do you think it's worth? How much was Dan trying to sell it for? Silence. I was perplexed. I never told, I never told you my friend's name, I replied. Chapter 33 We climbed an, inter we, we climbed an internal stair to, to the turret. There Erica pulled the frame off the wall and proceeded to remove the print from the frame. I noticed the frame was double glazed, thick glass. I handed her back the, back the lithograph. I have holy water, I offered. I have one too, blessed from Jerusalem. From a nearby bookshelf, she reached for a small bottle and uncapped it. She turned the print over on a table, the scene downwards. Four sides she blessed, and then the center with the mark of a cross. The double glazed frame fitted perfectly like it was meant for it. Then she positioned the frame and hung it. It needed a home, but not one where it's visible to anyone who may not be ready for it. I see. Your friends were not ready for it, and neither were you. I think you were fascinated to own something so unusual, to say the least, so you, you couldn't let go. It's Middle Eastern, so perhaps your friends thought you were a fit, as your ancestry. My birth parents were from Damascus. Erica gave me a knowing look. Have you ever heard of a... Have you ever heard of a djinn? It can play with your mind and manipulate your emotions. Very dangerous. I surveyed the turret. But up here... Up here, someone has to climb up on purpose to view it. I would be the only one at this point who may see the past as, in it as you have. At an obscure, excuse me, at an obscure location where children or other adults would not be able to see it. Will you let me know if anything happens? 
I will keep in touch, but as long as the glass holds and is blessed, we should be good. It's now 2020. I have not heard from Erica since then. Months later, Alice and I did a final tag sale on my parents' summer house. I sprinkled the holy water from Lord's around the house before I finally sold it, convinced that the lithograph had finally found a home. Since then, we've sold several antiques of every imaginable sort and expanded to a larger store. Alice remained friends with Mel, though it's now casual. My associate, Dan, laid low until one summer when he offered me an antique chest to see if it could be sold in my new store. I declined, now reluctant to take anything from him. I never went back to the Bar Harbor area or to Erica's town, where her home with the turret houses a print that was mine. When I look back and recall the scene in that lithograph, I now realize that the girl on the swing looked a lot like Erica, as much as the castle and the foreground looked a lot like her home. It all came into focus. Part 4. The Furniture Room Rolling up. Chapter 34, Valentina the scent of lavender always lingers in my head like a memory of a lover. It stays and stays in your mind, even when the clothes have been sent away to be washed or pressed. Sheets sit in the sun, drying and then starched, and like lover's scents, willfully purified. But the elusive scent of lavender, though gentle, remains long after a lover has been dead. That's just the way lavender is. However, unlike a lover, which brings about, uh, which brings about a frisson of shame, Lavender is clean, lighter, and is a, <laughs> I can't say this word, chiaroscuro, <laughs> C-H-I-A-R-O-S-C-U-R-O of blue and purple in the Mediterranean sun. Sorry, guys. For me, the memory of lavender remains as that scent of purity and not the texture or thrill of a lover's skin. That cleanliness is like no other. Like a wash day in the old home of my childhood in Spain. Just several breathing steps from the lady apparition that became world famous. But lavender was made even more memorable, as my mother wore lavender on her pinafore and thrice hemmed house dress. My memories are etched indelibly in a sense. Her sepia photo hangs framed in the front room of my apartment in. in in Bergerac, facing the vineyards beyond. It shows her standing in the parlor of our humble stone and thatched two-room house in humble and rural Garibondo. When I look at the photo, I smell lavender and my heart dances. However, misfortune can strip us of our vivid memories of serenity, of joy, even the vivid scent of lavender in its purity, when sullied and maligned by fear, a harvest of fear that came about when Jacques and I chose to rent a particular store in Vermont. I attest to its truth over my father's tomb. It is as true as the apparition of, of Garibondal. I apologize if I didn't get that right, guys. As you can tell, I'm about remembrance now that I'm old. It's how beauty stays in my memory, and how the unique and haunted marred that beauty. I'm sorry, and how the unquiet and, ha unquiet and haunted marred that beauty. It began with a move to that antique store in Vermont, which I will keep unnamed. Even though I shiver up to now, I cringe to remember exactly what smell, what I smelled and heard that day 
like it was just yesterday, but cringe I must, so I can tell you all the details. When I heard you were coming to visit once again, and wanted the story of my halcyon days when I lived in New England and ran a haunted shop, I was torn. First, a gripping dream overwhelmed me that I was back there again, transported to that street of warehouses and, and tradespeople milling about. Then I realized I had to purge my thoughts and feelings in order to reclaim my serenity when I thought of my mother in the days of innocence, my childhood in the lavender that grew so freely. I heard you may be in... Okay, I can't... I'm trying to say this, okay? I heard you may be in, in Pirago. We can talk about the haunted store if you want to get some Mexican food, as there is one there. I would love to join you, as I do have a, pre a predilection for anything that reminds me of Spanish cuisine. As you know, I am, <clears throat> I am Cantabrian, and I know your grandmother was Castilian. We have a lot in common, more than you think. But on the off chance that the pandemic interferes with your plane once again to get to the side of paradise, I thought I'd write to you. I hope you don't mind that my writing is fragmented. I'm going to go up a little bit here. Okay, just a little bit. Okay. I hope you don't mind that my writing is fragmented as much as my memories have come to be. I decided it was probably better to wait to see you in person to get all the details down, lest I forget. And Jacques takes me to the doctor again for the back problem I have encountered. It would be terrible not to meet up or share the story I've been waiting to tell you in great detail. Here, then, is my story, and you can best see fit where parts to submit, which parts, I'm sorry, you can best see fit which parts to submit, and perhaps, it's if too wordy, I don't mind a few deletions, but it's pretty accurate considering. Please kindly include my introduction here. Shift this up a little bit, okay. Chapter 35. I began my story with the sin of lavender because that's the one that triggers the strongest memories of the apparitions, like the lady in Garibandal. Then I will tell you about the music I am familiar with, since this account of mine deals also deals with music and how that too was sullied by dread. When I think of music, I think of the groups of my youth, like the Spanish bands that came to, to, to Santander. Los Brincos, Bruno Lomas, Los Picaniques. I think that's what it says. I know Maurice is probably laughing at me right now. With cute and slim, <laughs> with the cute and slim guitarist. I used curlers on our hair, my sister and I, and we had it done every few weeks or sometimes every week in those days. I even think I like British rock and even music like my former university friend used to dance to. I now forget his name. He was a gentleman like Esteban a former lover, before I married Jacques. However, the music I heard in the antique shop was nothing like the ones I liked. All I remember is that when I heard it, it made tendrils of cold drafts down my back, and the melody filled me with despair and dread. To this day, I cannot place the era, the singer, nor the musical instrument, which sounded a cross between a flute and a type of harpsichord. Perhaps, if you visit the shop in Vermont and were unfortunate enough to enter the back room, you may identify it. I counsel you against it. The lavender is related to the music in that haunted place and the scent of old wood, which is common in antique stores and homes with antique furniture. The shop in Vermont was much that way, with that combination of scents. Wood that is moldy, 
and with dust and with dust motes that flicked in, in the in the sunbeams from the windows. Then, when things really got strange and sinister, the scent of sulfur arrives like a scorpion. It strikes the unsuspecting. Have you been burning candles, lighting them in the store? Jacques would ask. The shop in Vermont left me a fearful woman, even still in my fifties. Now, when I enter a shop, even a she shop or a butcher's for sausages, I still tremble when I smell something that seems like the old, the old wood of that shop in Vermont, some perfume that is lavender, or when it, or when it matches with it. Then I shiver because the haunting melody plays in my head. It's quite painful for me to recall them. But since I consider this an exercise in letting go of a creepy memory, a month of nightmares for both me and the old husband, I've decided to write it all. Jacques thinks it may actually be therapeutic. After all, we're now well away from Vermont and the world of antiques, save for the old ballet shoes that I used to collect. But I, but I know who owns them. The music from the shop destroyed my vivid memories of the bands from my youth because it conjures them. I can almost hear you say, it's not fair. The shop robbed you of the pleasure of music and the sense of your mouth, of your youth. Mouth. <laughs> Sorry. So many triggers that left me unsettled. I'm not sure why I didn't make note of it that summer, when we decided we would move to a much larger store at the far end of town. First of all, the new store wasn't the store situated where the old little store had been, nestled in the middle of the antique row. This store was much bigger, but it was near the warehouses and off in the more remote section. That in itself worried me. People are used to walking in the antique area for antiques, taking in a coffee or ice cream cone nearby, and then strolling to the restaurants in the next block. This store, well, it was farther afield. A short drive. Almost. Okay, hang on a second. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I got lost. A short drive, almost, especially for the older patrons who can't walk as much anymore. It was surrounded by tailoring and tool shops odds and ends of more the likes of welders and plumbers. Then there were the warehouses and the buildings that were turned into some type of apartments for the young, which looked like industrial inside and out. These large apartments later on became more suitable for the well-to-do as they were quite high-end. No university pupils could afford them, and neither can people in their 20s when their careers just began. However, the larger store was reasonable as far as the rent. I think that is ultimately why we considered it and signed the lease after a few visits. I remember after Jacques signed it that I kept asking if it was okay that it wasn't anywhere near an antique row. It ate at me, and I think my gut was telling me something was not right. There was a penumbra of foreboding that left me repelled from packing. I wanted to stay at the old store. Jacques allayed my fears as much as Esteban would have. He said that was okay, as we were advertising everywhere, even even in the auctions, where we were moving and when, our faithful clients would follow us, and the tourists who relished vintage who relished vintage would as well. It wasn't like it was a completely different town or state. It was just a very short drive, closer than Santander was to Garibaldo. But you see, Gar Garibaldo was sacred. It was a holy virgin apparition. This one though also about apparition, sounds and sense, wasn't sacred. 
I didn't know anything about the building, except that it seemed odd, sitting there like a big brownstone in the middle of warehouses. There were garages where you can have your car or truck serviced. There were fish canneries, even. But no other apartment building like this one, which it looked to be about, which it looked to be at one time. Then someone told me someone rented out the flats there before it was demolished and renovated to make it so every floor looked clean and airy. To make room for offices and stores. Ours was going to be a store with a second floor. It wasn't. It was, in fact, the largest of the offices. With one massive walk-up entrance of double doors made of heavy wood like you would see in a church door. Then, the inside was very vintage. Like me, old. There were tin ceilings like in the 1930s, which reminded me of the gangster movies. The dark wood paneling, and I like paneling. But this one, it made the rooms of the store dark. Too dark, in fact. The chandeliers and sconces on the walls made up for the darkness in some spaces, lighting it up like a dance hall. They were the original chandeliers and sconces, moved here and there to accommodate the renovations when walls were knocked down. Some needed cleaning, from what I recall, and I asked the building owner if it was possible before we moved in. His reply was very telling at the time, but we, eager beavers like we were, didn't pay much attention to his reply. He said, I will try to get a cleaning crew, but it's difficult to enlist them these days as they have, as, as they have to come at nighttime. Nighttime is a problem for them. What that meant, I guess we now know. I thought it was odd, as most cleaning people in offices and stores do come after office hours into the night. I can't imagine them cleaning while the store was open. Can you? Chapter 36 When every piece of antique had been moved, it was smaller than we thought. The space was double the size of the old store. But we both underestimated how much we had acquired through estate sales, pickers who bought from salvaging heirloom things from old homes, couples who restored and renovated and had no place for a piece of furniture, and the fellow dealer eager to barter an object for, to, to barter an object for another. Plus, of course, the third-party consignment vendors, who had to give them a few feet of space for their vintage wares. In those days, we examined every lamp, porcelain, and knick-knack for flaws and authenticity. The larger items we looked for, any type of flaw that would signal a cheaper sale or even, perhaps, exquisitely made fake. By the time we were done and moved in, it was almost four months later, and the leaves of fall came sailing past the windows and into open doors. The early darkness came with it, and the store's fixtures, especially the chandeliers, which were antique themselves, cast an eerie pallor on the vintage and antique objects we considered art forms of a bygone era. I wandered through this panoply of objects which customers, with customers and replied to questions of every type. Where did it come from? How old? Can you measure it? Does it come with a pair or as a pair? Like that and this and that. But I'm moving too fast now. Allow me to begin with day one, opening day. Opening day was slow but significant. That was the day we received two vases in a chest. One vase, a sizable one at two feet high, came with a twin. It was a large, very ornate vase we grabbed from a shop in far off northern Georgia at the feet of the Soviet Republic. Between the two ornate affairs was a chest 
which besought Jacques as soon as he saw it in a fair. Somehow, it reminded him of a French hope chest, but it came from a Spanish galleon, according to the picker, who served time on board a ship. We placed the chest, we placed the chest quite a heavy one, with straps and a bolt, between the two vases, and called it a day. I just remember them distinctly more than others, as they will fi figure later in my story. Hold on to that and remember this chest. The next day, a Monday, my store manager, Meg, a lithe woman with a face showing lines of worry, came in early, as it was her first day at the new location. I had given her the combination to the alarm and the key to the interior door, though we didn't set the alarm. I think in the hustle and bustle, we fought to set it. She switched the light on at the entrance door, one hand on the handle of her Hermes bag, as she was trying to impress us with her visits to French Luberon, and one holding her Starbucks cup with a key dangling from her wrist. The delicate but unmistakable scent of lavender filled her nostrils and overpowered her latte. She thought it strange, but since she was prone to fantasy, her retelling initially told us she was a romantic. That was our interpretation at the time. She wore perfume herself, and since she was a collector of French perfume, much cheaper to procure than what we had at, at the old store, I assumed she was daydreaming the scent from a bygone... Let me get this going here. I gotta move this up a little bit. From a bygone trip she had taken recently. It didn't stop there, however. Meg stood stupefied, nevertheless. She recounted, wondering, as she stood there, if I had just preceded her in arriving, as it was the first week of opening. It was logical, she pondered, that I took it upon myself to open and be there ahead of her on Sunday. Remember, while she was closing shop at the old store, I had been there on opening day, which was Friday. Meg stepped into the shop in that light-footed way of hers with her Museum of Art umbrella and placed it on the stand near the entrance. She called out my name several times, but there was no reply. She recalls later forgetting the umbrella as she dashed past into the open rain. Her heel shoes made soft clicking sounds, and as she proceeded deeper into the shop, the lavender scent disappeared. Meg called out to me again and again since she sensed a presence, still sniffing for the waft of lavender that she elucidated signaled my perfume presence. I never wore lavender. I moved the I love the scent, but it didn't become me, and now you know I never would, as it conjures bad memories. As the scent had dissipated, she wandered, still searching for me in the store, and eventually strode to the back counter where the register was located. She then realized she was alone and felt a sense of loneliness upon surmising no one was in the store but her. Meg never felt lonely, being a child of family of six. A slave to routine, Meg did what she did at the beginning of every shift. She perused the ledger of the day before, uh, she, I'm sorry, she, she perused the ledger of the day before, opened a new sales ledger for the new day, and proceeded to check the list of deliveries and listed items that, re, that were reserved for customer transport or pickup. The miscellaneous and boring things you don't think about that make up an antique store. Visa, AMX, MasterCard, or Discover. She was just about to step into the ladies' room as the coffee had made her, had made it past her gut when the scent of lavender returned, this time with a vengeance. Meg decided she would investigate, as she claimed it seemed the scent came from a candle. 
Meg had the unfortunate incident as a child of having to dash out of a burning house when her grandmother forgot to snuff out a candle that caught fire. As a young woman, she was now cautious, and we were glad for that. Please allow me to explain how the new store was set up. When Jacques and I placed the items in the new store, we decided we would make it as inviting as possible by not cluttering the front windows, but placing some antique paintings and statues on display to entice others to come inside. Through the entrance, through the entrance door, we placed a runner in a muted blue floral pattern, allowing for a small foyer for the people to temporarily stand and pause, taking in the breadth of the large shop. We found that when customers were not overwhelmed by clutter upon entering, they relaxed and stayed longer as the atmosphere exuded comfort and style. As the customer walked down the runner, a series of small antique jewelry and display cases welcomed the customers to their right and left, which was more like a setup at a department store that sold makeup and jewelry. Some contemporary chairs were positioned so that if they chose to hang there to examine some period pieces, they could sit while the shop seller showed them the piece of interest. That shop seller would be either me or Meg. Later on, we set up a coffee and tea butler there with cream and sugars. Meg walked out from behind one of these counters, where she had assembled the ledgers behind the jewelry, and sauntered down the length of the runner to the four sections of the store. It was an idea I had of sectioning the antique china in a separate area from the statues and religious icons to the left, and then across the aisle with the heavy furniture, and finally the smaller miscellaneous pieces to the right. She walked into the china section and found the scent less pronounced. She then entered the statue and icon section and found them as usual. It was when Meg, it was, it was when Meg crossed to the threshold of the back area, where the large furniture was laid out, that she felt a distinctive sense of foreboding. This section was physically farther than the rest of the four rooms, as there was a small stair that led down to it, a room that was lower than the rest. It was also where the large twin vases and the chest from the Spanish galleon also found a temporary home until a buyer bought it there. Meg wandered into the area where the chest and vases sat, touched them to decide whether they needed dusting. Then, content they did not, she stepped away and looked out the window, which was her habit. She surveyed the crowded room piled with old types of period furniture and decided there were no candles there or even incense sticks, which I do not have use for and never have found attractive. Cautious as ever, Meg was. The back of the store looked out onto a narrow alley where the brick buildings sat side by side. After studying the alley for people or passerby, she decided to return to the counter towards the front of the store. Upon turning, she thought that someone had entered the shop as a draft blew on the nape of her neck. She stepped up a few steps and out of the room to check. That's when she felt something following her, though. There were no footsteps. Meg turned back, a cold draft wafting across her face. Of course, there was no one there. The room was empty. Discomfited by the experience, Meg called me, I think, just to hear another voice. I'm stepping out for lunch. So far, everything has been quiet. Good. Get something to eat before you wither, I laughed. I always taunted. I always taunted Meg about her weight, which was on the thin side. I'm going to the deli. Would you like anything? Again, the question was out of character, as Meg never asked me about what we were doing for lunch. No, thank you. We're about finished here, and then we'll join you there. 
We just ate lunch. I had some last-minute details at the old store, which, which were items from a third-party vendor, Charlie. He needed to transport his own antiques to the new location with the help of his son, who brought a truck. He just loaded the last of the antiques after, after packing them onto the truck when Meg rang. Knowing Meg from several years of working side-by-side side as her store manager, I sent something afoot. Instead of addressing it on the phone, I refrained, as it was better discussed in person, which is my style. Chapter 37 Jacques had just pulled away from the curb, and we were en route with Charlie following in their truck when Meg rang my mobile again. Sorry to bother you, Val. Were you just here or one of the vendors, she asked? No, we're headed there now. Oh, the lights were off. You didn't turn them off before you left? No, I didn't. I just put the sign on that, you know, on that we'd be back as usual at two and locked the door. Anything amiss? I turned to Jacques, who was driving, wondering if someone broke in. But why bother with the lights? I'll check now. The bolt was secure, but I didn't arm the alarm. Okay, we're headed over now, if you want to wait. She waited. Meg appeared a bit edgy to me. She stood huddled under the awning by the front door with the keys in her hand. The rain had just stopped, but it was evident she had walked out without her umbrella. We parked curbside and emerged, the weather still gloomy, as if the clouds had become too heavy to bear water. It appeared about to pour again. I unlocked the door with Jacques behind me, turning all the lights back on, and the smell of lavender immediately met me. Meg wiped her shoes at the door and followed us in. I turned, sniffing. You're wearing? No, Val. But I know what you mean. I smelled lavender this morning as I came in. Jacques proceeded to survey each room as we stood and opened the register. With few or no customers that day, there, was no, there were no receipts. Meg checked the cash, and it was just as she'd left it. Room to room, we went and inspected. Everything was just as we had laid, laid them out. Jacques checked against the photographs we take as a way of comparing against anything that might be missing. A vendor one time who brought their goods on consignment alleged there was an item, a lamp, unaccounted for. We learned to photograph often and date them. The room descended and the rain began again. I'm sorry, the gloom <laughs> the room descended. Yeah. The gloom descended and the rain began again. Later that day, since there were no customers coming after 5 p.m., we closed earlier than usual, checking the windows and the back room where the alley was located, setting the alarms, which were neglect, which we neglected to do until that night. Feeling reassured that the alarm would go off and connect directly with the police, we left for the evening. Jacques noted that all the lights were off and the front door bolted and secured. Weary and wet from the day, though it was a few hours shorter than most days, Jacques and I retired early that evening, feeling that once customers had acclimated to our new location, we would have to put in longer hours like usual. It was not often that we had the luxury of a day like that day. And though Mondays were usually slow with customers, once the winter settled in, we began in earnest with contracting with the new vendors, estate sales and auctions. Estate sales and auctions. With the summer closing and the new school year already beginning, the stores saw fewer tourists with their children and reverted back to the routines of old-timers and avid collectors who were more serious than the average tourist. Other than the lights mysteriously shutting off when Meg had left to go to get lunch, Meg and I didn't notice anything unusual, save for the lavender smell we detected upon entering. 
that eerie feeling of being followed that God didn't stay with Meg. A brave woman used to adversity. She needed to patrol these rooms even after hours to tidy up and spot anything broken or amiss. She was a godsend to us. Chapter 38 The next morning, renewed and rested by a short day and an early night, I arrived and attempted to settle into the old routine in a new location. The month of November began, and, as I expected, the customers who regularly prowled our aisle were more of the serious antique hunter-gatherer than the summer crowd who browsed and needed the introduction. I arrived at the shop around 8, even though our opening time was usually around 10. Since we were still assessing safety in the new area, now that the darkness was more of a constant with the shorter days, I, for one, wanted to straddle the hours despite the alarm. Thus, for the month, we decided to make an early we decided to make early openings on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which tend to bring out the more astute antique browser and collector, than Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays for the late to rise on career-minded or career-minded set who tended to shop later in the evening. We added contemporary vintage jewelry for the women for the women who haplessly wandered in for a bobble or two. I know some of our fellow dealers were not in the same mindset as us, but that's us. Those back then were my favorite days, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Saturdays were our days when families dragged their children for some reason, and all hands were on deck for the watching of the unattended. I entered, switched on the lights, and disarmed the alarm, which showed a silly light. Thus satisfied, I began my day behind the counter and reached for the ledger, which recorded all the sales, readying myself for a customer. The cleaning people, two women, entered around 10 a.m., as, as if we were closed. An unusual arrangement, but I didn't argue, as the antiques need to be carefully handled, and I preferred our presence while they vacuumed and dusted the counters. I did all the dusting of the valuables, particularly the bone china. All was quiet after they left around early noon, early afternoon. The chime at the front door made, made its distinctive sound, like a windbell, a purchase I had made while we were shopping in Portugal. I glanced up from my reading of a book Jacques had finished the week before. From my vantage point, I would not see the person entering were it not for the chime at the door. It was Meg. She appeared baffled. You look uncomfortable. Are you still concerned about yesterday's lights? I asked. I am. Silence. The electricity in the building is old, I observed. I will check the fuse box. Let Jacques handle that. The chime went off again, signaling another individual was about to join us. Meg turned to greet the visitor. I exited the counter and followed. There was no one there. Meg darted to the door, which was already unlocked, a heavy affair made of solid wood, as the building was built when materials used were premium to last. She last is shut as it was ajar. The wind, perhaps? I offered. A lame excuse, considering the weight of the solid door. Then, as we retired back to the counter, the chime went off again. This time, I emerged to greet the customer customers, and instead met with two men in their late thirties. One had light brown hair, wearing a sharp woolen sweater, and the other, who was shorter, had blonde hair with a blue vest. They looked studious and friendly like bachelors at a ladies' party. We just want to introduce ourselves. I'm Paul, and this is my brother Jake, said the man with blonde hair and vest. I'm Val. I'm one of the owners. My manager is also here. Jake waved past me back at Meg, who waved, back, who waved from the back of the store. She'd obviously made his acquaintance. Paul smiled. Our cafe is across the street, Paul pointed. 
Since we're both new merchants, we thought we'd offer you and your manager a discount. Any lunch item or breakfast you wish. I looked over behind Paul and Jake and noted the press of people still exiting their busy cafe at 2 p.m. I spotted our two cleaning women carrying carrying coffee off on their carrying coffee on their way out. That's very gracious of you two. You can come in and browse our jewelry anytime for your wives. Thank you. We're also starting we're also starting dinner for the locals just in case you're open late. Simple things, you know, Paul said. How late? We might just weekdays until eight, eight to eight p.m. Weekends from noon to 5 p.m., Jake offered, but Sundays were closed. Paul smiled. Most nights I close up and go home at 11. Ooh, those are long hours, I commented, knowing our inventory times and how our hours were straddled. Jake nodded and handed me a coffee card and a calling card. Your husband must have been burning the midnight oil last night, he said. Jocks? Tall man wearing a gray suit? At this point, I had returned behind the counter where Meg was sitting. I sat on the stool next to her, wondering what Jacques was was home. Wondering, wondering. Jacques was home early with me, and he never wears a suit to the store. I was piqued. I was piqued. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's losing my mind. I was piqued. Where was this tall man? Jake looked back with gravity. He came out of your store. I was here until eleven. What time did he come out? Do you remember? I made a mental note to ask the landlord if he had stopped by for some reason. Jake paused. Paul offered. I left at nine, and Jake saw him too right before I left. I'd say around nine. I glanced at Meg, who appeared uncomfortable. I was going to discuss that with you, added Meg. I told her this morning when she came in for some coffee that this was Jake. I was perturbed and reached for the phone. Gents, will you describe the man again, please? He seemed tall, slim build graying hair in a grayish suit, and perhaps a tie. He looked very austere. Jake commented, I'm sure there's an explanation. He came out the door, turned into the alley there. He pointed to the right of the store. You're sure he came out our door? I queried. Yes, that door we just entered. I called Ken, our landlord, and left him a message. Later, Ronnie called back after after the two cafe owners had left the store. Ken had not been anywhere near our store, and didn't see a need for an after-hours visit either, unless we needed him. Besides, he didn't fit the description from what I can recall. Ken had blonde hair and wore jeans like Paul. Plus, the alarm would have gone off, and no one had the combo but the three of us and Ken. He would know how to disarm it before entering. Jacques came over from the old store and later checked the alarm, the bolt, and the windows. Then he went to the fuse box. Nothing was amiss. We refrained from calling the police as there was no evidence of a break-in other than that what the two cafe owners thought they saw. Jacques held off sounding a false alarm. I wanted to meet with Ken and ask why the cleaning people refused to come in at night as they would, you know, with most businesses. It wasn't that I wanted them to do so, especially now with the possibility of a breach. There were no cameras at the store, unlike the old one, and I also thought about getting his permission to install some. I'll discuss it with him, volunteered Jacques. But, Val, let this cool down, and let's address it if something else happens. You mean, wait for someone to break in? No, love. It won't come to that. It's a minor incident, don't you think? Those boys may be mistaken. The alarm works and the bolt works. Nothing's been tampered with. Meg watched us talk as she packed her tote for the day 
getting ready to leave for the evening. She didn't say a word, but I sensed in her eyes she was intimidated. Finally, she spoke up. What about the lights? I know I didn't switch them off. I moved and put my hand on her shoulder. I'll open tomorrow. You can come right in at 10. Jacques will be here with you until closing. Not one to be really frightened. I noted Meg quickly agreed and left. For the first time in our employee, for in our employee, our manager was in a hurry to leave. Chapter 39 it, it wasn't one to, I wasn't one to quibble, but my vision is 2020. I'm not that old. Paul chuckled with Meg as she recalled. Meg had decided, after all, to come at eight to open the store with me. She indicated she'd thought about it on her way home the night before it while sitting on the train. What if scenarios? What if Val encountered the intruder when she opened the store? What if there was a break-in and they were still that they were still there at eight when Val opened? Etc. Etc. Dear Meg was protective of her older employer. She was so indispensable. I didn't take her for granted. Meg stopped at the cafe as she had the morning before, right when it opened this time. It was becoming a habit, and the proximity made it convenient. She peered through the glass windows, newly windexed. Paul was there, so was Jake, busy placing fresh pastries and croissants in the display case, as she recalled. The coffee scent assailing every part of the cafe to welcome the office workers who stood outside waiting. The door opened promptly, and Meg made her way in, glancing absentmindedly at her mobile, and then, in the growing sunlight, decided to turn and snap off a shot of our antique store across the street. Very attractive and vintage, she thought, she had said. It was approximately 8.03 a.m., according to her watch. The darker side of the street was just showing signs of daylight when she snapped her cell phone photo. Unlike where the cafe was situated, where the morning's rays had already warmed the countertops, the antique store was still in darkness. Paul gave Meg a broad smile of recognition as she entered with the line of office workers on their way to work. Behind her, two men chatted casually, then were joined by a third. From the conversation in progress, she gathered they were overnight workers at an apartment building, one of the re renovated high-end rentals. It happened to be the building they were in, the apartments right above them. One wore the uniform of a security guard, a, grandfa a grandfatherly black man who appeared ready for a long day of sleep after his overnight shift. The other was dressed as a maintenance man, who appeared a bit concerned over some activity in the night. The third man who joined them was the custodian on the day shift, still crisp in his uniform. The maintenance man appeared baffled that the security guard, a portly man, didn't see what he saw. Seriously, you didn't see anything? The security man jovially replied in the negative. I tell you, I looked and looked at what building you were, at what building you were talking about. It was quiet. Did you even go? Let's see. Did you even go and cross the street like I told you to? You know I'm not supposed to leave my building. The man was insistent. I know you can't, but I wanted to see if there was anyone in the store. There could have been vandals breaking in. They were probably having a party above the store. That's an office. The store. The store up there. Well, maybe you thought you saw something when it was a reflection of a party right above us. It turned out the maintenance man saw people coming and going down the store's alley, and music was heard from our store's building. I can tell lights and music, Jeff. 
I didn't say you couldn't. It's just that no one lives across the street. Our building has parties. That one doesn't. He pointed to the floors above the cafe. The custodian chuckled. I hope all's quiet today. The maintenance man commented, Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You're on the day shift. Meg finally turned to the group behind her as Jake stood waiting on the customer in front of Meg. I don't mean to eavesdrop, but I do work at the antique shop across the street, she pointed. The men paused in conversation, observing her. Okay, lady, tell us there was some party last night, the custodian queried. Jeff stood waiting eagerly for validation. We closed at the normal time, six. Jeff's jaw dropped. No one lives upstairs in that building? No one, like I, like he said. That's the office's storage area, Meg offered. Now concerned once again. The security guard prodded the, the day custodian. He's got some drink, he added. Can you tell me what you saw exactly? Meg ventured. All I saw was light coming from the back of that store of yours. Like it was in the back alley, you know? Something on fire? Then there's lights flickering. Tell her about the music, the guard prodded. The guard prodded Jeff, eager to repeat what he had already heard. Um, it was like not a party kind of music, you know, not rock or disco or more like classic music, the guard offered. Yeah, that's it, classical. So it was it wasn't a party, the custodian clarified. Jeff mused. Not like not like that kind of party. It scared the creeps out of me. Never heard anything like it. Jeff grabbed a pastry as Meg picked up her coffee. He turned to pay as Meg as Meg got her change. I don't drink, not even beer. He was serious. The custodian looked straight in the eye at Meg. Check it out, lady. If he's sober, there must be something going on up there. Meg glanced at Jake behind the counter, who gave her a knowing nod. Meg opened the door, undid the alarm, and promptly switched on the lights. No sense, just silence. As she stood in the foyer, removing her jacket, her mobile dinged, and she checked her messages. Absentmindedly, she looked at the snapshot on her iPhone that she had taken to the store for the cafe. A shadow of what appeared to be a man looked back at her through the glass of the store door. He wasn't smiling and appeared angry. Meg gasped. Inches from where she stood was where the man in the photo had been standing looking out. Then she smelled what seemed like candles or what seemed like several matches being lit. Then the foul scent of burning flesh. She whirled, she, she, she whirled expecting something behind her. Of course, there was nothing but the eerie dimness of the early morning. The object, the, the objects, the art, stood like waiting soldiers of a, at attention, seeking a home. Meg ambled to the light switch, casting a glow over the entire vicinity of the foyer and, and where the jewelry lay under the display cases. Quickly, she flicked on each light switch as she went from room to room, dispelling the gloom and silence. Then she approached the radio and turned it on. The morning news blasted loudly, making her jump. Meg sat, fumbling with the volume, and sipped her coffee. She realized she still had her coat on, and her handbag still hung from her arm. She took the previous day's newspaper and began fanning the area around her in an effort to diminish the foul smell. Unable to wait for me, she reached for the phone and called. Chapter 40 Jacques took the lead, walking a few paces ahead with Charlie the vendor. Charlie followed, pulling a large wrapped affair on a dolly. 
and loading it with care, the two gentlemen unwrapped it to reveal a beautiful vintage full-length dressing mirror from a German castle estate sale. I mean, I'm sorry, from a German estate sale. I got a castle on my head since the last story. It was in perfect condition. Slowly, they carried it over to the back furniture room and placed it upright next to the vases and trunk from the Spanish galleon. This was the area furthest from the rest of the rooms, which had a window overlooking the adjacent building and narrow alley. Jacques reassured Charlie that the windows were all secure, the door bolted nightly, and the alarm on. However, Charlie, ever meticulous, still appeared concerned and wanted to see for himself what the alley behind the building might contain. The alley had some empty boxes, the detritus and recycled materials strewn about, and an adjoining parking lot of a warehouse. When we arrived there, Jacques inspected the alley for any signs of party gold or leaving trash and the remains of a fire. There were none. Then he approached the store back, the store's back window, which looked out into the alley where the chest and the mirror were located right inside. The window was shut and couldn't be opened unless someone broke it. The alarm would go off if all were in order. He darted with Charlie to the parking lot, where there was a guardhouse of sorts, as it was a pay-and-park arrangement. The parking attendant wasn't there. Then the warehouse, where all the windows were dark, and it appeared abandoned, as warehouses often do. On both sides, I glanced at the buildings and surmised that they, that, and surmised they were various establishments. One was an apparel store, and the other appeared to be spare, a spare parts store. Walking to the next street showed the respective hours. Walking to the next street showed the respective hours ended at five and six, so no one would likely be there to witness anything let alone have a party. No one would be there as late as 9 p.m. with a party or music. Jacques scratched his head. Unless there were teenagers in the alley behind our store drinking and carrying on, I don't see anyone being there. It must be kids, I surmised. Jacques gazed back, stupefied. Playing classical music? Unlikely, added Charlie. There's nothing there but warehouse and stores, Meg. I offered when we returned. I wondered about that, Meg added. It's the apartments above the cafe, Jock surmised. Charlie was in a hurry to leave and sauntered out, satisfied. Meg thanked him, and we heard the front door chimes announce his leaving. I need to go. I'll see you at lunch. Jock's, Jock's made ready to leave, grabbing his keys. A few customers, a lunch, bit, a, a lunch bunch, entered and milled about. I smiled and greeted them as Jock's made his way out. Meg approached me as soon as Jock's left. You believe the man's story? I do. But I think that they might have heard it from the apartment they were working in, not, not across the street. What about the lights in the back of the store? No idea. Nothing was amiss back there. No trash from a party, from what we can tell. The music? From the apartment above them. Then, her iPhone in her hand, she showed me the photo she had taken from the cafe. Then she told me about the foul smell. I surveyed the customers around us, contemplating and admiring the antiques. I turned to Meg. Watch them, please. I left the store, crossed the street, entered, got a cappuccino from a young girl behind the counter, and waved to Jake, who had emerged. We chatted about some niceties, and then I left. I didn't want to rehash the morning's conversation, as it was Paul who overheard it. I, lo I looked out the cafe's windows and observed our store across the street. I focused on the door, unconsciously sniffing the air inside the cafe for any foul scents from their cooking. None. I smell the usual scents of the morning coffee, the sweet scent of baked rolls, and the bacon. Having taken in enough without un 
without undue attention, I left. Emerging out on the sidewalk, I crossed the street and turned my, my back to our antique shop. I stood to observe the cafe and the windows of the apartments above it. I was hoping to see a poster, to see a poster of a man and make cell phone on a wall of the cafe reflected out on our front door. There was no such thing. What did Paul and Jake see? Did it match the photograph Meg took? If so, who was it? 5.15. I grabbed my coat and checked the alarm one last time, the red light showing it was off, as it should be. I eyed Meg, who appeared tense, a signal for her to take over the register. Several customers were milling about, some still dressed in work clothes, some obviously retired. I left for the evening. Wednesday was a late day closing at the store, where the hours ran from 10 to 8 in the evening. We had about three hours to go, but the tension made me exhausted. Later at home, our landline rang as we were ending dinner. It was Paul from the cafe. Val, is this Paul? Yes, Meg is here at the cafe. Oh, is she all right? I heard an exchange and Meg came on. Val, I closed just a few minutes ago. Oh, it's seven. May I come over if it's not too much trouble? I glanced over at Jacques. Sure, everything okay? I closed the shop and armed it. I should be there in 15. We'll be here. Chapter 41. Let me check something really quick, guys, and then we'll come back in. I want to see something. Okay. So we're at chapter 41. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. In fact, I'm going to make a note of that, too. But I'm going to go ahead and stop there for continue next week. And uh, this is actually the last section of the book. So that's what I was trying to check to see how close we were to the end. Um, we're on page 190. We've got two, 296 pages, so we still have another 100 to go. So anyway, that's it for today. And uh, let me get back on camera here. All right. Okay, we're back, sports fans. Oh, Karen's here. Pamela's here. Marisa's here. Oh, you're all here. Anyway, it's a hint. This one's really this. This whole book's interesting. Antiques. I always have a thing about antiques, and I've had issues here with the the antiques I've collected over the years. Anyway, we'll continue next week. Um, great book. I'm enjoying it immensely. I hope you are too. Marisa gets a good laugh because of my Spanish. <laughs> trying to read Spanish on the fly. But uh, I want to thank everybody for coming today. And tomorrow, we're going to have um, Michael Cook with us, who's going to be talking Bigfoot, Bigfoot in Kentucky. Uh, he had an event happen to him when he uh, was younger and had skipped school and gone fishing, and he came in contact with a Sasquatch. And from then on, he started to do research, and he had several contacts with Sasquatch. And he's kind of, he, over the years, and you know, hearing the reports and everything, he's come to the conclusion that Sasquatch is very, very active in, 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 in the state of Kentucky. So he's going to be with us tomorrow night talking about that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And that'll be at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, our usual time. If you're following, if you're listening on Facebook and you like this, uh, this Sunday read or even the rest of our shows, uh, please feel free to follow and uh, like, like this, you know, because, because we're looking for followers. If you're currently watching from YouTube and you like what you hear, please hit that. Uh, subscribe button, which is that little ghost down at the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and that Sherlock Holmes hat on. Uh, there's uh, more than 450 videos sitting over there, and each one has different different types of topics. 
So I think there's a little bit of something for everybody because we don't just cover paranormal stories. We don't, you know, we're doing other stuff as well. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're all equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, um, you see that ticker at the bottom? That's because California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team does not take any money to um, go to go out on their investigations. Uh, we do it simply because we're here to help and educate people. And uh, that being said, you know, we do have costs like equipment and things like that. And equipment does break from time to time. Gas, you know, different things. Plus here with the radio show, computers break, you know, mics break, things, things go wrong. And it all comes out of my pocket because I am the sole owner of it all. If you could help me out, because I really love this show. This is our third, um, this is our third season on the air, and I really, really adore doing this show and bringing it to you guys. And I hope you do too. And I want to keep bringing these really cool guests here. And the only way I can do that is to pay my bills. And that, you know, that's like I'm talking like Xfinity and things like that. My phone bill for the phone ins and all that stuff. And if a computer breaks, you know, whatever, I have to replace it. So if you could help me out with that, that would be great. You can get us at paypal.me at California Haunts, or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, we do have a Venmo, and just go into Venmo and, uh, and type in California Haunts. I'd really appreciate the help, and uh, because I do enjoy doing this. Anyway, that being said, I'm going to say goodbye, and I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. You guys have a good evening, and enjoy the rest of your weekend.